Hey everyone, and welcome to the Capitalize for Kids podcast. For Mental Health Week this week, we have Kathy Hay, the CEO of Kids Help Phone on the show. An incredible organization who does a ton of great work. Uh, on the show, we discuss uh, the services they offer for kids across the country, uh, how they're updating those services to reach kids through modern mediums like texting and live chat support, and how they're able to respond to major crises in local communities, specifically supporting kids in Saskatchewan during the recent tragic event for the Humble Broncos uh, and the tragedy which occurred in Toronto following the recent van attack. We also get into Kathy's background and her transition from banking into the nonprofit sector, uh, something that I personally can identify with and absolutely love. Kids Help Phone, I should mention, is also a beneficiary of Capitalize for Kids. So we're really excited to share this interview with you so that you can learn a little bit more about their amazing work. So enjoy the show. Kathy, thank you so much for uh, for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I feel a little humbled to be sitting here, but uh, happy to be here. I don't know why you would feel humbled. We should be the humbled ones. You are um, the CEO of probably Canada's most important mental health organization. Well, so. I guess I guess I'm humbled because um, first of all, it's a privilege to uh, be in a role like I'm in to know that uh, the work that we do, the work that I do, and the word I means uh, just simply I get to be part of an extraordinary team. But the work that uh, happens here and the privilege I feel around it is around the young people in this country. And, um, and that's the real privilege and that's where I feel the most humbled um, when I come into work every day and the most inspired. What about working with young people inspires you and, and makes it feel like a privilege? It's a great question um, because uh, when people sometimes think about young people, they might say something like, these are the leaders of our future. And I kind of disagree with that statement, which sounds weird, but I actually think the young people in our country are leading right now, today, every day. And um, so when I come into work and where I feel inspired is that it's, it's not easy being a leader, um, certainly not easy being a leader as a young person in the lives that they have that are complicated. And, um, and Kids Help Phone uh, provides a service coast to coast, north, south. So there isn't a one size fits all for all these young people who are leading in their, in their worlds. Um, so I guess what inspires me is the courage they have. And when they interact with Kids Help Phone, there is this moment of courage that each young person has to have to pick up that phone or go through our live chat or do a text or go, get, uh, go onto our website and, and uh, get in an interactive, I need some service or support. That moment of courage, um, I think, rivals any moment of courage you'll find anywhere. And then through the course of what that young person does with our professional counselor or our trained volunteer, um, they, they leave that interaction with a true sense of resiliency that, um, again, I don't think you'll see that resiliency anywhere else. Um, so t tell me about this, this moment of courage. I want to kind of hone in here for a yeah. second and, and ask you, you know, wh why would someone call in or, or visit the website to Kids Help Phone? You know, how do uh, the youth interact with Kids Help Phone in, in, in what capacity? 
So Kids Help Phone's been around for almost 30 years. We are a trusted and loved brand, though that sounds like a silly thing to say. But we're, it's not. I can definitely agree with that. Yeah, we're loved and trusted. And so kids um, uh, have called us traditionally by telephone. On the other end of the, that line is a professional counselor, and they actually do receive um, a professional counseling session for whatever is going on in their life, whatever it is. We don't judge um, at all. And over the years we evolved, we're actually a technology forward kind of organization because we actually deliver support and service in the realm of virtual. We are doing it in the communities where young people are. If they don't have to come to us, we go to them. So then we added in different services like uh, live chat, so through the internet, uh, through an app. Um, that's not 24-7. That requires more funding for us to get 24-7. We also have uh, access through our web. Uh, we have over a million kids that come through our web uh, resource. Uh, we call it resources around me. So those are our services in a nutshell, good to talk, a whole bunch of other um, um, ways for young people to interact with Kids Help Phone. Honing in on the courage, though, is probably um, the thing that is the most important. We have the right service for kids. We know, um, we know that kids, um, we worry about young people, we worry about their mental health and their well-being, and we have these solutions that we know work for young people. And, uh, and when I say young people, we get calls from age six through to 26, 27 years old. And we are going to provide support and service for these young people regardless of their age. Um, and so that moment of courage for me, when I think about it, is um, a young person, whatever their situation, wherever they are in Canada, um, they know they need some help. And they, they, they know they do. And um, the biggest barrier for their well-being, actually, is them doing nothing. For them to think, it's just going to go away, or I'm okay, or maybe this isn't a big enough problem. So when they actually go, I think I need some help, and they do that one moment of, I'm going to call, I'm going to text, I'm going to go online, that is probably the most courageous thing that young person can do and has done. And so um, on our end, and back to the inspiration bit and being humbled, we damn well better be on the other side of that phone or that text or that um, uh, live chat. We better be there. And it's, it's more than just being there for, for kids' help phone. You mentioned solutions, and you have solutions that work. How do you guys look at effective solutions, and what is an effective interaction with a counselor? So that's a great question because kids are calling um, with very complicated um, situations, just in general. Life is complicated. Being a kid is complicated. And so, and I've listened, I've been live listening uh, with a professional counselor, job shadowing or whatnot. And, um, and a young person might call in with, uh, and I, I'm thinking, Let's get on that. They're calling in because they're, they're fighting with their mom and they feel not loved. And let's get on that. And um, the 
professional counselor works with that young person to actually let that young person work their way through all of the things that are going on in their life. Yes, they might be fighting with their mom. Yes, they might be feeling unloved. Um, but there are a whole bunch of other things going on there that might actually include substance abuse or uh, an eating disorder, um, suicide ideation. And so if you stop at the first thing, you kind of miss the whole, pe the whole picture going on with this young person. And the thing that happens in that is that you actually enable the young person to take control of what's going on in that call and in their life. They can get to the end of a, I'll call it a single session, which could take however long that young person needs. Could be 20 minutes, could be an hour. Um, and so by the time we get to the end of a chat or a phone conversation, the goal plan is to take a hot moment with a young person that moment, bring them down to a, a moment of cool with a plan, with some real understanding of their own courage, their own strength. I guess it's a, a sense of being in charge of what their next step is going to be. We know that works. And we know that works, first of all, because of how that call ends. We actually do uh, data. We have the largest data set in the country on youth and mental health. And we are only going to get uh, um, more robust around data with our texting uh, service that we're, we're trialing right now which has um, smart technologies running behind AI, um, really understanding what kids are saying. Um, so we know it works. And we know that kids are better um, equipped at the end of a call. And if, if they're still feeling, um, and most likely they do need more than just a single session, we're there. But often we're the front door for kids going, you know, they come through our door. We help get them referred to places where they need to be referred. They keep calling us. Um, sometimes we're the only door. When we're in northern Canada, um, in places that don't have a lot of services, we might be the only door for them to go through for their well-being and mental health. So, again, humbling. So when you talk about decentralizing you know, healthcare services, uh, obviously it, 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 or it should allow for... Um, access to, to crises in, in more remote areas. Uh, a recent example is uh, what happened in Saskatchewan to the Humboldt Broncos. Uh, a less remote example is what happened last week in, in Toronto, uh, both tragic uh, incidents. How does Kids Help Phone uh, adapt to those situations of crisis and, and, and how important are your services in those times, in those areas? Like, what have you seen for, from a, a usage standpoint? When communities are in crisis, small or large, when big things happen that are um, uh, hit you right to your very core, it is in those moments that um, uh, Kids Help Phone can really, I, I call it dialing it up. We can dial up our services as we, as we need to just by simply making sure uh, uh, people know about us. We work with, we Let's talk about Humboldt. That was an extraordinarily um, heart-wrenching tragedy for uh, a country uh, who, you know, there isn't a community in this country that can't picture a bus of kids going off to a tournament somewhere, hockey or otherwise. And um, when that happened the next morning, Saturday morning, 
Uh, we've talked a bit here about our texting program. It's trialing in Manitoba because you know, we, we can't spread and scale it right now because we don't have the funding for it. But we sat there on Saturday morning and we said, wow, we have capacity um, on our texting program. We have a province that is reeling from a, a real community crisis. Um, and not just Saskatchewan, Alberta as well. Uh, and we just said, we'll worry about getting to capacity when that moment happens. The worst thing for us to be would be sitting here waiting. So we opened it up um, in Saskatchewan. We worked with the government uh, there. And, um, and we had enormous uptake. It was easy. We had a short code. Uh, people, it didn't matter. We had, we had people in their 30s reaching out. Um, um, so the ability for Kids Help Phone to use their technology at times of crisis, we did the same in Toronto last week um, uh, with that tragedy with um, school boards and whatnot. And I will tell you, we had in, in Saskatchewan young people reaching out saying, I'm a hockey player. I got to go to my game tonight and I'm terrified to get on the bus. I don't want to tell anybody. Those are really real moments, right? Um, last week we had a young person text in and because of the way that the platform works, we can actually use the machine learning to pull out. We can know when bus or crash came up. Or interestingly for last week, um, sidewalk was a word that came up. And we had one person, in, uh, which I can give an example of, that said, geez, they're afraid to actually walk home on the sidewalk right now. And now I'm home and uh, I don't want to go out. So that's where we can be there in those times of crisis. On the side of me as a CEO, uh, wanting to make sure we're there, uh, what we need to be able to do as an organization is make sure we lift our services so we're always there, not just dialing up in crisis. Um, because sadly, there will be crisis happening in communities all across the country. I do not want to be in a situation of deciding which community in crisis is more important than another community in crisis. So that's when I unabashedly speak to funders about helping us spread and scale. It's so we're always there in a moment of crisis. I will say though, we will always be there, period. You ask us, we're gonna be there. The opening of your, the texting service, mm -hmm. that's gotta be a recent shift uh, given how young people communicate today. That's uh, you know part of the kids' help phone strategy to adapt to to how how young people are communicating. So, with the data that you have since you've opened that service, have have you noticed a a big difference in in how they'll communicate? I'm sure it takes a little bit longer over text message than it does over a phone call to to get to a to get to a, the, the point of conflict. How have you guys been handling dealing with with those issues? You know the texting uh, trial. Um and we call it Crisis Text Line Powered by Kids Help Phone. We partnered with an extraordinary um, technology not-for-profit in the U.S., technology company, not-for-profit company in the U.S. And the platform, first of all, is truly innovation for mental health um, uh, services in Canada. It's just extraordinary. 
So it was a game changer. It's a game changer for us, I think. Not that we won't always anchor with our professional counseling service. That is part of our DNA. But to fold in this texting uh, program that um, there's two things. First, it's confidential, not anonymous. The other piece is we are uh, providing support and service with trained volunteers. And these trained volunteers are overseen in live, real time, uh, with a MSW, a professional counselor. So what that does for us is a couple of things. It enables us to have more access points for young people, and, um, and that's a big deal. Uh, so there's that. It also enables us to really, with the technology, understand what young people are saying. And I think I, I mentioned earlier about it's not a one-size-fits-all at all. Uh, one, one person will speak differently uh, about whatever their issue is to, than the next who might live next door. Well, imagine the different kinds of uh, ways young people will speak about suicide, for example, in a remote uh, spot north of Nunavut versus Nunavut versus Toronto. They will be speaking about it differently. The technology will enable us to understand what those differences are. Just and. Therefore, we feel we can actually shape um, uh, policy and uh, how healthcare, mental health care is delivered for young people in the country. It's got to be a pretty robust technology because, I mean, it's, there's so much that's open to interpretation over a text message versus a phone call. Let me give you a really cool example. And Please. yes, it's, it's really robust. And as I said, smart technologies are running all the time. I've gone through the... Uh, volunteer training program. I'm almost there. Uh, that is humbling. I also have to say that, and it's hard. Um, it's hard work to, uh, to go through that training program. Underneath uh, this whole platform, as a trained volunteer, I'm on a computer. I'm not on my uh, cell phone or my gadget. Um, the technology is picking up the conversation, so it's picking up words. So if we go to eating disorder words, for example. A young person might be saying, you know, my mom thinks I'm really too thin, but I feel so fat, I can't stand looking at myself in the mirror. Might have been, uh, that might have all been communicated over 10 minutes of conversations. Well, that machine learning is picking this up. And now on my computer screen, I have tips on what I should be uh, you know, here's a suggested question. Here's some resources for this young person in the community that they're in. They could be in Sulacout, Ontario. And I, as a trained volunteer who might be in New Brunswick, will be able to, to make a suggestion to that young person about resources in his or her community in Sulacout, Ontario. I mean, it's that robust. That's impressive. I do want to give you a really cool example, though, as you yeah. talk about... Um, uh, using the text and communication uh, from a young person's perspective. I'm gonna give you a real example, and you will see and hear, or you'll hear, um, true courage. This young person texts in um, through the trial program, and the first thing he says is, I'm autistic. And, um, and the volunteer is going through a conversation, and what he says to her is, be patient, it'll take me longer. 
So that young person is understanding I need some help. I need this other person to know that it's going to take me longer. Um, and it did. That text went on for almost two hours. And while that young person was communicating the situation, every so, you know, and it took that young person time to even, as it would, frame in your head what you want to say, he would text writing so that he would let that person, the trained volunteer, know I'm still here, I'm writing. When I heard that story, I, I go back to courage, resiliency, and leadership. That young person was leading his own conversation with such leadership. And he tried to explain how it felt for him to be autistic. And so and I'm taking a great big long text conversation and breaking it down into a short message here. He basically asked the volunteer to get a piece of paper and a pen and to draw. Um, they would draw together so that between the two of them, they decided they'd each draw the same thing wherever they were. Volunteers are all over the country. Um, so he asked, let's draw a stick person sort of lying down. Let's put waves on top of the stick person. Um, that's me. I feel like I'm underwater. And actually, I think it was the trained volunteer who said, it sounds like you feel like you're underwater. Um, and again, through this, young person's going, I'm writing. Just to keep, I, just when I, when I interacted with that, uh, I actually cried um, because I thought of the silence and isolation that young person could have felt. Um, and yet, the courage that he said, get a pen and draw. Can you imagine how vulnerable he must have felt at that moment? And then the two of them said, okay, what would make you, how could you buoy yourself up um, when you feel like you're underwater? And they actually took a water bottle. They emptied, in their discussion, emptied the water bottle of water and capped it so it was now filled with air. And he held on to it. And, and like that was their conversation. Um, so back to texting, 100% it might take longer. There could be misinterpretations through texting because it happens all the time. We're training our volunteers in a very robust way. We have uh, supervisors that are live with them, giving suggestions as they need it. Um, but on the other hand, if we're not willing to do that, as an organization that is supporting youth and mental health, that young person would not have been able to pick up the phone and go through that. That young person wouldn't have been able to do that. If someone asks me statistics and I can give you lots, the statistic I would say on that, though, is you just need that one statistic. That one statistic is enough. And then I can tell you all kinds more. So. Leveraging technology to kids' cell phone is one, one challenge slash focus area, call it. Are there other challenges that you're facing right now uh, as an organization? I'm a former banker. So I, I think about uh, the financial side of life. And I'm here at Kids Help Phone um, wanting to make sure we amplify our programs and we bring in new technologies that we can spread and scale and we exist not for kids' help phone, we exist for the young people. 
So when I think of all of that, um, and I know that we exist for young people, I know we worry about their wellness and their mental health, and I know we have solutions that work, and I know we have partners that want to work with us to, to um, find new solutions for more access points and dropping more barriers. Um, so we do have all of that. That is, you know, if I was a for-profit company, I'd be saying, wow, we got it all together. We just now need to, we need to go with it. Our only holdback is funding. The more funding we have, the more we'll be able to amplify our programs, the more we'll be able to bring in new technologies and spread and scale across the country. And I would say for Kids Help Phone, we've been around for almost 30 years. Uh, we are the first, uh, we are the first in the country to actually deliver virtual care. When you read about healthcare today and you think healthcare, um, or you worry that healthcare is not sustainable, um, you actually just have to read any newspaper and, and, uh, and you would read that. I don't believe it's not sustainable. I believe that we just need to deploy our dollars differently and make sure we deliver care how people want it, where they want it, when they want it. And you move into the space of virtual care, um, which a lot of healthcare organizations are moving into that space. Well, we were there 30 years ago by nature picking up that first phone call. And we've been laying in new technologies in the virtual care space for almost 30 years. Um, so for me, uh, the challenge for Kids Help Phone is simply to unabashedly take our place as the only organization in the country doing what we're doing, supporting youth and their mental health and their wellness in a way that they need and want it. Um, we unabashedly need to take our place, make sure that we have the voice of young people, we do. And when people wonder what's going on with young people um, and their well-being, that we actually have a place in that conversation. And when we have that place, unabashedly so, uh, we will also unabashedly be asking the country to mobilize behind young people and support Kids Help Phone and all of our partners, because we do not do this in silos. Um, to make sure we can spread scale the right technologies for young people in this country. Because at the end of the day, the leaders today are young people today. Um, they will be leading when they're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. We need to give them the tools now. Absolutely. Uh, not wait till they're 35 or 40 and say, oh, by the way, here's some virtual care for you. Let's do it now. You mentioned that before you... Uh you came from a, a career in banking. I always love these stories of, of people in, in the finance world switching over to uh, having a, a, a real impact uh, on social issues. Uh, how do you go from being a banker to the CEO of Canada's most important mental health organization? <laughs> um, you finance people out there, get ready for a rock and roll ride when you get into the not-for-profit sector because there isn't a lot of money to do a whole bunch of things that you want to do. Um, I, I have to say, for me, as I trace back my career, um, I loved being a banker, first of all. I actually felt that I was um, doing good. I was working with my clients and colleagues and whatnot and building solutions for their portfolios and their banking needs. I was retail banking more than anything else um, in the day. 
And I love that. I love the interaction with people, facilitating, connecting dots. Um, so um, I suppose I would still be a banker today because I loved what I did. Um, but we did as a family decide to pick up and move ourselves to Sao Paulo, Brazil in the 90s. And um, that was a big shift for me personally because uh, I was moving from being my own independent, career-minded person to living in a city in Sao Paulo of 22 million people with two little kids with the decision that uh, I would take a pause on my career. And I remember saying at the time, I think I'm far enough up the ladder that I'll probably fall down a few rungs, but I won't fall off the ladder. And that's okay. And my advice to anybody, male or female, is um, don't be afraid of falling down a few rungs because what you'll be doing is making decisions for yourself, uh, standing in your own personal values that I guarantee you, guarantee you, hands down, uh, will never be a mistake in your career. So off I go to Brazil and um, decide that I guess I should use some of my skills that I have and um, and I volunteered. I went to the Consul General and basically said, here I am, former banker. Um, and for us former bankers, I got a little bit of an eye roll from the Consul General, like big deal. But anyway, um, we decided to set up a foundation, the Canadian Foundation. We thought we would raise some money. Uh, and literally that afternoon we said, maybe twenty-five dollars or $30,000 would be great. Any goal in mind, just raising money for anything specific? Yeah, or? I mean, pick a street corner in Sao Paulo yeah, in fair. the 90s, but we chose um, HIV, AIDS, and kids. And think of in the 90s, um, HIV, AIDS was not exactly a popular um, disease. Uh, uh, I guess I'll use the word disease. It wasn't really, nobody really wanted to talk about it. It was uh, an infectious disease that, Actually, uh, those that had it were blamed for it. We chose kids because we are in a great big huge city with kids that were on the street by the time they were seven or eight or nine years old. They were street kids. They were hardened street kids. So we chose young people and kids. And we um, and I and I have to say it was the easiest fundraising in the world because every single multinational corporation in the world was doing business in Sao Paulo on the backs of the people. And that was my pitch. I actually went to every CEO I ever met in Sao Paulo and said exactly that. Uh, Ford and P&G and Pfizer and you name it. And we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I met extraordinary people in Sao Paulo um, that if they were not working in community centers in favelas in Sao Paulo, they would be the CEO of these multinational corporations, the smartest, most resilient, resourceful people I've ever met. But what it did for me is realize that I was using the same skill set that I used in banking. I was connecting dots and I was facilitating um, you know, investments, whether it was an investment from into the, you know, by donating cars, they were actually investing in the communities and follow through and integrity. And, um, and at the end of the day, when I raised $1,000, it felt like I raised a million dollars. It felt so fantastic. Um, so when I came back to Canada, I decided uh, that I would try out this not-for-profit world 
Um, and I literally, I think I made 16 bucks an hour when I came back <laughs> um, on my first uh, day on the job um, as a, a consultant, for lack of a better word. I did some work for an HIV AIDS organization, um, did some fundraising, not that I knew what the heck I was doing. I worked with Big Brothers, Big Sisters as they started merging those, those two organizations together. I was a big sister, so that felt right. Um, I think that's when I made 16 bucks an hour, which um, was a tax complication more than anything else. And then I, I uh, moved into academia with U of T and uh, moved into the healthcare space. I was CEO at Credit Valley Hospital Foundation um, and most recently at Women's College Hospital Foundation. And, um, and here I am at Kids Help Phone. So if I was to give advice about not worrying about falling down not the falling. ladder a bit, falling down the rung, or even if you fall off the ladder, honestly, have the same courage the kids in this country have. Just dust yourself off and pick yourself back up. Um, stand in your values all the time. Stand in your values. And How do you stand in your values? I don't take my values for granted. I know what they are. I remind myself of them all the time. If I brought my book, uh, my little notebook that I carry around with me, every time I have a new one, I write my values in the front. Um, Would my you mind value. sharing a few of those values? You don't mind? I don't mind um, at all. Courage is one. Respect is another. Kindness is another. Leadership is another. And what I did... Uh, um, for them is I also defined what three words they mean to me because courage might mean something to me it's different for me than it is for you and it's just as valid for you as it is for me I just wanted to make sure I knew what mine were and so I remind myself on good days and on bad days and I look at them um, and I look at the words and what they mean and interestingly They've been the same for me all the way through. Every so often I'll go, oh, it should be different now. I'm doing different things. Look at me. I'm 55 or whatever. Don't put that in. No. <laughs> you, <laughs> you look amazing. Just don't put my weight in. That's something women will never share. <laughs> um, and they're the same. It's who I am. And so I remind myself of them all the time. The other thing I do, I call up my gremlin. And uh, you can stand in your values every single day. But there is that gremlin sometimes that crawls up on your shoulder and speaks at you. Like, you can't do this. You don't belong here. You shouldn't be doing a podcast with Capitalize for Kids. Who the heck are you? Um, <laughs> and that gremlin tries to crawl up on my shoulder every single day. And so touching to my values are, is one thing. And literally um, just getting that little thing off my shoulder, that's work too. You have to work at that. Daily rituals that keep you grounded, I think, are incredibly important. Whether it's you know breathing exercises in the morning, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's you know having a phone call with your mom, or whether it's you know looking at your your values uh, in in your book every day, or if it's a combination of of many different things. Uh, and I think it's always interesting to hear uh, what those are for for people who you know run massive organizations. Like you have a thousand things going on at any given second. Whether it's you know dealing with internal struggles or challenges or, you know, a crisis in uh, any number of cities across Canada uh, and, and 
for you to have something that keeps you grounded amidst all that chaos is incredibly important. Don't ever, ever think that you yourself are actually the one driving at all. Don't ever think that because first of all, you'll be outside of real values, but also you will be so narrow focused. You will not see the talent and the heart and the soul around you. Um, and I can't imagine running this organization or any other one that I did without trusting and relying on the people around me, being vulnerable, sharing the fact that, oh my God, does anyone see that gremlin on my shoulder? Because it's speaking loudly to me. Um, I think it's really important to show up as you, as a leader, um, and don't be afraid to uh, not be perfect because none of us are perfect. Um, and in fact, if you try to be perfect, you are going to fail. I know that I appreciate that, that advice, and I know that our, our listeners will as well. Uh, and appreciate your, your time here and, and sharing with us uh, you know, the story of, of, of Kids Help Phone and being vulnerable enough to, to share some of the, the challenges and, and how you are uh, addressing those challenges and how uh, Kids Help Phone is, is actively seeking to uh, you know, make an impact in, in the Canadian mental health space. And you have done an incredible job. This organization is... Uh, second to none when it comes to uh, mental health services in Canada. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to sit down and chat. So thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And if I'm allowed, I just want to make a shout out to one of our very best partners, which is Capitalized for Kids, who um, it blows me away, the uh, generosity of spirit and courage that uh, uh, this extraordinary group of people um, have and they are changing our country one kid at a time through all the work so I thank you for doing what you're doing because we actually couldn't do what we're doing without you as our partner well now now I sit here humbled <laughs> so thank you again <laughs> thank you so much and there it is thanks so much everyone for listening as I mentioned at the top of the show, Kids Help Phone is one of our beneficiaries. Uh, we've been doing some great work with their team to launch a project management office, uh, which will ultimately improve their services to engage kids using the latest technologies. Uh, you can visit our website at www.capitalizeforkids.org to check out our latest impact report and to learn more about the progress of our work with Kids Help Phone and a few of our other beneficiaries. This episode of the Capitalize for Kids podcast was produced by our digital marketing genius, Eugene McCashew. I am your host, Evan Sequera, and be sure to tune in in two weeks for a wide-ranging conversation with Camilla Sutton, the new CEO of Women in Capital Markets. Until then, take care. <laughs>